Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another Kansas Rural Center Presents podcast. I'm Charlotte French Allen, the Communications Coordinator for KRC. This episode breaks from the current series being hosted by Ryan and Zach, which covers soil health and the upcoming Farm Bill. I recently interviewed Don Teske, president of the Kansas Farmers Union, for the board member highlight of the Rural Papers, which is out now digitally on our website and in the mail. I ended up enjoying my conversation with Don so much that, with his permission, I've decided to share it with you. My farm is in northern Pottawatomie County, so Wheaton, Kansas. So you grew up in Wheaton then, mm-hmm. born and raised. I grew up on top of the hill from where I live now, and so I've never moved off that hill. I've never lived a day off that hill except in hotel rooms. So. Mm-hmm. It's uh, her one daughter lives in the house I was raised in. Uh, another daughter lives on in the house on the farm where my grandparents lived, and and uh, so it's uh, people call it Teskeville up that way because it's we got uh, several farm homes there in the complex. Okay, are you the only? Do you have brothers and sisters? I have three sisters now, and I had a brother that passed. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Are you the only farmer out of the bunch? Or are you guys kind uh, of like all Teskeville is? (laughs) Teskeville and Farms Incorporated? uh, Two of the sisters have families that farm. The other sister actually lives there on the farm too, but she's a bank executive. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. And uh, and her husband used to farm with us and uh, doesn't anymore. He has a newspaper. Okay. So how did you, I mean, obviously you're born into it and raised into it, but how did you kind of come onto the farm and decide that that was going to be your thing? I never had any choice. I was was always going to be the farmer. That was just the deal. Yeah. I I tell people I've been driving tractors ever since I could hitch up my diaper and crawl on, and Mm -hmm. I'll probably be the last generation, but that's... uh, that's that's that was always just a given okay in fact i only went to high school a half a day my senior year uh, we were building a dairy at the time so we built the dairy and started milking cows and so i went half a day and farmed half a day yeah yeah you went to college that's where you met your wife no, no. okay well how- never went to college you started dating her in high school that's what it was right yeah, yeah. high school Yep. That's right. I know this from she watching She was a freshman that. in high school. I was going to be a junior. That's pretty cool. I watched the documentary. You guys still seem pretty sweet on each other, so. We do okay. That's that's really nice Got to see. Lots of grandkids running around. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you want to talk about um, how you got into... I guess from farming, you've become kind of an activist, whether you like thinking that about yourself or not I feel like that's where you found yeah. yourself in that spot how did that happen yeah I assume you haven't uh, watched Ryan's zoom of my beginning farmer presentation <laughs> I should have suggested that too because I laid her all out on the line there mm-hmm. but uh, you know farm full-time for 20 years and but uh, so Graduated high school in 73. Kathy and I got married in 76. 
there were five families on the farm making a living from that farm at that time. And by 79, the, my brother uh, left the farm and we sold the dairy herd and uh, kept the rest of the farm going. And it, so at that time, it was my my bachelor uncle, my dad, who was a patriarch of the family, and myself. You know, mom farmed and Kathy helped and that kind of stuff. But those were the farmers through that time. And then in 1985, dad started acting wacky. And at the same time, our bank was closed that was during the farm crisis and when the land was devalued uh, regulators closed down the Onega Bank and we ended up in FDIC paying 18 percent interest and the owners of the bank wasn't willing to work with the farm because dad he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's so we had him at home for 15 years before he died but but uh, and everything centered around that house because he was just wasn't safe to take him out. But anyhow, uh, I ended up taking on farming the farm and and farmed it in my name for two years until we got out from under the FDIC and and uh, then got stuff moved back to where it needed to be and it was only right, but. Part of that was firing up the dairy again, and I want to fire up the dairy again. So in 86, I couldn't find the bank that'd take me on. They just kept turning me down. And walked into a strange bank in, in Womago, and at that time I figured I had a week's worth of food left, and I didn't know I was going to feed the kids. And, and uh, that banker in three days I had my loan and he took me on and we fired up the dairy and milked for another 10 years. And so That's pretty cool. Through that 10 years, I started getting more politically active, especially because that's when Seaborg Hog Farms wanted to move into Kansas and they were spending all the money in Topeka to, to uh, get the anti-corporate laws done away with in Kansas. And I didn't belong to any farm organization at that time. Well, I take that back. I belonged to Kansas Livestock Association, Kansas Farm Bureau. What was the third one? Kansas Farm Bureau, Kansas Livestock Association, and yeah, I'll think of it in a minute. But, but anyhow, I went down there and I watched the lobbyists for the KLA and the Farm Bureau try and, and do it. I seen the chairman of the House Ag Committee and the chairman of the Senate Ag Committee. So House Committee was Gene Shore. Senate Ag Committee was Senator Allen. They just railroaded that legislation through. I mean, I seen them lie on the House floor. I seen them bully. I seen the lobbyists and what they did. And I came home and I resigned from all three groups if I ever think of the third one, <laughs> and, and at the same day, and and I never had anything more to do with them again. Do you remember what year that was, or like what? Late eighties, early nineties. Okay. I was milk cows, so I'd slip down 
you know, around the milking, and Kathy would milk, and I'd go down to the Capitol, and I testified in opposition because it was dairy, too, and I knew what that would do to dairies and my future. And and so... What got you down there in the first place? What got me down there? Yeah, I mean... Well, because they were trying to do away with the corporate laws, and that included dairy, and so Mm -hmm. that would allow dairies, corporate dairies, to come into Kansas. Were there other people so interested, or were you um, kind of one of a kind, I guess? I'm just thinking about... I don't think there were many individuals like me down there. Okay. I do remember seeing Farmers Union at that time in their testimony. That's the first time I'd ever was aware of them, even though my dad had been a member of Farmers Union, but Mm -hmm. he was really active in Farm Bureau. and uh, so that's you know he sold his livestock through Farmers Union, and so that was interesting. But but anyhow, I I so then I got more active, and then Farmers Union came by the farm one day, and we're doing a membership drive, and they signed me up, and I kind of been Farmers Union ever since. <laughs> but that's how it got me started into the activism, because I'd seen what it did to my family, I seen what it did to my dad. I seen the direction we were going. I knew that wasn't the future that I wanted for my children or grandchildren, and I got active in it. Do you think it was because your dad was somewhat interested too, being in both uh, Farm Bureau and Farmers Union, um, maybe like heightened your interest or opened your perspective a little bit? No. Oh, I'm just trying to figure out why you, uh, you know, are the individual that you are, I guess. Beats me. Just off? Just <laughs> I, I was really active in a different group before, and that was the National Young Farmers Education Association. And that was created to, that was grown-up FFA boys. Okay. And so Onega had a really active chapter, and, and the creator of that in Kansas chapter was Les Olson from, by Holton. Denison, and he was uh, in the education department and state FFA advisor forever, and we became dear friends, and he mentored me a lot, and and uh, I, uh, you know, the first time I flew on an airplane, I was 33 years old, and we flew to D.C. because I ended up on the national board of National Young Farmers Education Association, and and he was also on at that time, so he showed me how to do satellite parking, how to get around in D.C., the politics of it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was really honored on him and Corrine had their 50th wedding anniversary. They, they invited me to their celebration, and I, that was an honor for me. Hey! <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here just rambling, but... He, Les told me once I had to come to a livestock meeting he was putting on it at uh, Hoyt. And uh, so I did. And uh, the speaker was Greg Dowd. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But uh, he's a Kansas K State guy, but 
at the time he was uh, economist for the NC National Cattlemen's Beef Association NCBA and under the Trump administration he was one of the two trade negotiators with uh, the other one was at Heiser something something Heiser but uh, you know he 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 was the corporate model and the other one was trying to be more proactive in trade talks mm -hmm. but it caused a lot of issues because they'd sit there and argue in front of the other countries negotiators yeah but anyhow Greg Dowd was the speaker and so uh, I got there before Les did and I sat down and Greg was there and they came in and Greg went over and said hi to him and shook hands and tried to get him to come over and sit with him and Les came over and sat with me <laughs> so that was an honor but you know Les FFA boys weren't activism that was really indoctrinating young adults into buying into the corporate model so mm -hmm. I, I changed after that but I had some leadership capabilities by that time from that system you sure. might say I mean uh, it's not it's not like there's just worthless information there it can really polish a person up whether or not you're you yeah, know going I, with what their vision is I may have not had a college education but I've got a world full of life experiences like anyone would by the time they get to be my age but but I was young enough there to kind of start raising hell and and uh and it, it caused me somewhat to moderate myself because that banker that saved my ass was the republican county chairman and the lawyer that he we got to save our ass <laughs> ended up becoming a republican state senator here <laughs> and so and they're still really good friends and so I've never, I'm a registered independent, and it's probably served me well to be that through this time. It seems like all of my allies and my friends are Democrats, but but uh, in my position as Farmers Union president, I think it's somewhat appropriate to be a independent. Sure. And vote for the person, and that's what I'm proud of anyhow. But it, it, uh, there was a lot of stress through those times. So then we milked for 10 years. Was the, was the dairy, sorry, the main source of income? You had other other stuff like your, your haying, or are you haying for the dairy? Um, at that time, and, uh, and, and our, in our heyday, we were farming a couple thousand acres of, of native prairie and cropland. Uh, when I was running it in the late 80s and early 90s, we were milking 75 cows and we were running 1,200 acres and some beef. And But the beef was really my uncles and my brother came back by then. and So they kind of had the beef operation, but I was doing cropping and, and dairy. And... Uh, Anyhow, it got to be uh, 1994, and you know the banker says, "So, how long you want to keep playing at this dairy?" And you know, we can go a long time, but 
<laughs> she ain't making any money. <laughs> yeah, and the stress was, it would have killed me by now if I'd have kept milking. I was mm -hmm. trying to do too much with too many young children, and, you know, it, it was one of the things where if you milk normal hours, you missed all the kids' events, and I hated that, and I ended up starting a schedule of where I started milking at 10 o'clock at night and 10 o'clock in the morning so I could go to the kids' events and then milk. Yeah. And then I'd milk through the night. And, wow. And that gave all my neighbors something to talk about. Because, mm -hmm. yep, Dawn's still in bed and it's 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm taking care of business over yeah. here. Yeah. So that's, you know, and that was all right, you know. And, you know, my oldest son actually made a comment later on that, you know, the most meaningful conversations he had with me when he was sitting there while I was milking cows and talking to me and that kind of thing. And I miss my dairy cows a lot. Yeah. But anyhow, 94, I get a call from K-State and they want to know if I would consider becoming a farm analyst for them in Ag Econ. And uh, I'll be darned. And it was a half part-time position. And, uh, you know, I had no college education, but the reason they were hiring me for that is mostly crisis response. And so the reason they were hiring me for that was because of what I went through in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyhow, we talked it over and decided to sell half the dairy herd, the good half, and then keep milking the other half, and I'd go on the road. And I did that for five years for K-State, and I worked hundreds of farms across the nation, uh, or not nation, the state, and uh, and all kinds, especially the dairies, but I did feedlots, I did small operations, I did big operations. You know, I worked with a lot of families, and transitioning in the kids because the computer program we use worked really well for looking at what is okay and uh so, and so you were kind of a an extension of sorts go, like going out and vis of, visiting with people kind, kind of a hot shot extension yeah okay. I'm, I'm one of the guys extension would refer okay to okay. Me, okay people to me and uh there were like four or five of us around the state and and, uh, you know, I, I was always kind of the oddball and, and, but, but I needed money. And so if anybody called, I went, so I'd travel anywhere. I'd, I'd work farms around Oakley, Garden City, uh, hundreds of farms. And, and is that the first thing that started taking you off the farm? Yeah, it's the first time I ever worked off the farm in my life. Okay. I was work farm full time before then. Okay. Uh, so when was that that K State called? Ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. And so I've heard so, a little bit about you talking with people um, through farm crisis in the eighties. What was that through anything, or is that just no, through the, people? No, the eighties was mostly me worrying about me. Okay. I, okay. You know, I in fact I was speaking at a young farmer thing at Atchison at Benedictine College the day our bank got closed down and I made the joke to the group that it's kinda cool to foreclose on your bank before your bank foreclosed on you or something like that. And you know, I look back and just how silly that was at the time. And so, you know, I just didn't have a clue. Others were going through it at that time 
you know, Ed Rezicek would be a great one to talk about through mm-hmm. that experience. He put on some of the first meetings on crisis response in the 80s. But mine were 90s. My my crises were 90s. And okay. I'd, many times I'd talk to a guy all night so he wouldn't shoot himself. And, and they still call me. And, you know, I had one client up in Republic County that he was done. I mean, a good farmer... We managed to get a loan together that got him through that part. And now just a couple of years ago, he retired and retired pretty wealthy. <laughs> and uh, he just died, so we'll be burying him next week. And uh, But I, I had to reflect when I was reading his obituary that, you know, that service that I did, I'm not saying it was me, but that service I did, that's what got him through that time that allowed him to continue farming. Right, and, and then allowed him to have right. such a fulfilling so, life afterwards. Anyhow, we did that a lot. My brother got a little bit involved in this group called the Kansas Rural Center. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know anything about it, didn't have the time to mess with it or anything like that. And in 95, they put out a, a call for they needed an employee for their clean water farms project and so <laughs> I kind of on a whim I applied <laughs> and you know the people that interviewed me was Dan Nagengast and Mary Fund and Jerry Jost and we had a nice visit and I went home and a couple of days later I was milking cows and get a call from Dan Nagengast offering me the job <laughs> I'll be darned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a half-time job. So so I started traveling the state, working with farmers on their clean water farms project, and that was EPA 319 funds. And you'd give them a stipend to do a project, and then you'd host tours on the place to show off what they did to the neighbors. And that's where the Kansas Grazing Association came into being through that time. And Jerry just got that big Kello grant. And so I'd go to staff meetings up in Whiting, Kansas for the Rural Center and listen to the others tell K-State jokes. And then I'd go to faculty meetings at K-State and listen to them to tell Rural Center jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was this guy in between. And mm-hmm. I think everybody was watching me. Yeah, trying to Because <laughs> I was your... actually on faculty at K-State. I got faculty discount crap and... And there were a lot of pissed off people at K-State that I was on faculty without a college degree. And that's what, that and my getting more politically active and activism were what took me out of that. And it was probably time anyhow. Yeah. Well, it's funny to, to look at that today and see how things have changed and, uh a degree means a lot, but experience, I think people are starting to recognize. Yeah, I, they did an exception for me. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the most conservative speaker out there, farm bill wise, was, was Barry Flinchbaugh, and he was my boss. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we actually got along pretty good together. And Daryl Buchholz was the director of extension at K State, and he was the one that did the job interview. and was kind of the boss boss uh, tremendously gracious man uh, he's retired now but I, I look back 
respecting him immensely and you know I didn't know anything I had never worked out the farm a day in my life and I was uncomfortable in that role and he let the uncomfortableness go he kept me involved me he made me be me and I appreciate thoroughly immensely and same thing with Dan <laughs> you know it's kind of pretty cool that you can go through life and kind of do what you want to do and then also develop a circle of friends that continue to be your circle of friends even after you're not working mm -hmm. with them I mean you know you hear about all these people that just hated their employers and hated where they worked and it's like I've never had that experience yeah I've I've, I've been blessed to have a circle of people that I work with that were special in the world and continue to be and I'm glad to hopefully be one of that circle. Mm -hmm. So anyhow then that that grant ran out in in uh, the late 90s so there 99-2000 is when both the jobs petered away and uh, I didn't want to do it. I, I, I thought I was too busy farming, and I had been a board member at Kansas Rural Center for a few years at that time. <laughs> the first county farmers union meeting I went to in Puck County, they elect me president, <laughs> and so. Then they needed somebody to go to state convention as a voting delegate. Now I'll go. And then I got on the state board as a board member. So the very first year I joined Farmers Union, I ended up on the state board of directors. Kind of like Ryan. Mm -hmm. I often talk about Ryan, how we coerced him in. And, uh, but anyhow. So what is your, uh, your hot button items right now? As far as, as uh, activism, things that are getting you off the farm. Our to, talking points yeah. a couple of weeks in D.C. will be uh, uh, concentration, uh, uh, climate change. There's a Fairness for Farmers campaign out there, which kind of ties a lot of it together. And so it'll be really pushing that. And uh, Is any of this... Um like testimony for the farm bill coming up? Uh, first stages. You yeah. know, we'll spend a day at USDA and letting them talk to us and stuff. But, you know, this the Biden administration has just been horribly slow in appointing positions across the nation and the state. There's two presidential appointments or USDA appointments and that's uh, uh, FSA administrator and then rural development administrator and uh, uh, now they've got them filled now in Kansas it took forever a full year but uh, Dennis McKinney was a really really good pick for Kansas uh, but all these were appointed so slow, but National FSA Administrator is Zach Ducheneau, who's a Native American rancher from South Dakota. And, oh, that was a superb pick. And uh, 
I've known Zach for years. We've tipped bourbons together back in his time with IAC, Intertribal Agricultural Council, and mm-hmm. and my involvement with them. And so I knew how he's the real deal. And so I was I contacted him about coming to our state convention in December in Wichita, and I assumed he would zoom in and. He says, well, I'm sure I can Zoom, but let me check. I'd rather be there in person. And he came down, and he was so frank with the, about the FSA and what could be done there and what should be done there and what rights people had. And it's like, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've got to give this administration credit. They've been picking some key selections. The one in Iowa was good. The one in Utah was good. The one in Rocky Mountain or Colorado was really good. So good for them. Yeah. Is there a recording of that or anything of his presentation? Actually, yeah, but we haven't put her up online yet. Okay. <laughs> I I need to get that finished up. That's one of Nick's first. Nick just came on in June, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so that's one of the first challenges we got to get through. We've got that whole convention. We had some really quality speakers with Marcy Penner and Zach, and, mm-hmm. and I need to get them up on the website. What is Nick's title? Executive director. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. What would you say your advice would be for people um, having more representation and clout as far as developing policy and the the farm bill that's being planned now? Yeah, I can. You know what? What my comment often is is, you know, there's a lot of really intelligent individuals out here in the rural America, rural Kansas, and there's a lot of them that can look at things and see they're not going to be able to get into farming with the kind of capital investment it takes to get into conventional farming. And a lot of them, that isn't even what they want. I mean, I do a lot of work with veterans getting into farming, and a, a lot of them are disabled. A lot of them are suffering from PTSD. The last thing they want to do is go to high-stress dog-eat-dog agriculture. They want to have their little space on earth where they can heal themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a valuable thing in more ways than one. And so I think that's good. But, uh, you know, my advice is all you individuals out here that want this, you know, all you're going to do is be sitting there whining to your neighbors or the coffee shop talk or the bar because you're not doing anything about it and so until you start grouping together with others with the same mission so you can get enough numbers of voices to be heard your voice isn't going to be heard and that's why you need to have a Kansas Farmers Union out there that that will help represent your efforts in Topeka and Washington DC Back in the 90s when I worked all them farms, and I still work some. I just went out last week and worked a long-time farmer client. He worked his operation. And so I see what the books look like on the farm operations around the state, and there's always exceptions. There's a, those that are better and those that are worse, but, but yeah, I get a feel for them. And I can see just how many farmers through the 90s wouldn't be here farming today if it wouldn't have been for the government programs. Most of those years, that was the sole difference that 
fifteen or twenty thousand that they might make from government payments that was a difference between their farm cash flowing or not cash flowing to get their line of credit renewed for the next year mm-hmm. that was that was the difference and so as corrupted as our farm bills may be how imperfect as they may be it's kept farmers on the farm and i think that's a valuable tool you know a lot of the problems you run into now is uh involvement of the livestock industry because that's so concentrated and uh They've always been so proud over the years that they weren't getting any government subsidies. And right. They brag about that. Well, they're getting a hell of a lot of government subsidies because their mission is to keep grain prices cheap for the livestock industry. And so rather than the original comp- mission of the Farm Bill program was to interfere with inventory control. And so if grain got too cheap, you'd have to plant less acres, acres, you'd have an allotment. And I farmed that way as an adult. And mm-hmm. and so you that would bring the price back up in the marketplace. And so taxpayers weren't paying for it through welfare payments technically. They it was being a way of increasing the prices of the grain through market need with decreased acres and so the livestock industry keeps lobbying all the time to do it the way we're kind of doing it now so they get really cheap grain and and uh, and the taxpayers come into play well i guess it's robbing peter to pay paul because basically the voters demand cheap food and so you have a cheap food policy and then it's all the hidden expenses that are done out there to keep the farmers farming on the land and kind of keeping the system working. That's doing a lot of rambling. I don't mean to get so yeah. far out there Yeah, do you have a, like a, how do you fix that from just feeding itself? You know, it's kind of like yeah. the snake biting its own tail situation, it feels like. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, and that's part of our concentration message we can whine about it a lot, but it ain't going to change. I mm-hmm. mean, right now the green companies are so few, the meat processors are so few, the input suppliers are so few, they've been merged so much that there really isn't a free market out there anymore. And so the guy that's carrying a dirty stick at the end is the farmer. Uh, uh, President Kennedy made a comment once that farmers are the only entity out there that buys everything retail and sells everything wholesale. And there's a lot of truth to that, and that's that's our downfall. Well, Farmers Union was started in 1902, grew out of the Farmers Alliance, but uh, Kansas got chartered in 1907, so we celebrated our centennial already. We're the oldest active general farm organization. But in the teens and 20s, we had 100,000 members in Kansas. And, and, and it was farmers working together, and they had hidden distress signals, and it was real kind of that way, you know. And, and uh, you couldn't be a member if you didn't have another member that, 
that nominated you and then they had this black marble white marble thing when guys would leave but they'd vote whether you'd actually be a member and anyhow then they had local uh, locals around so like Pottawatomie County had four or five locals but that's where all these real elevators got built those were farmers union locals mm-hmm. that built elevators so they could buy and bulk together and sell and bulk together and so some of them kept the name like St. Mary's is St. Mary's Farmers Union, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, most of them dropped the union out of the name when yeah. unions got unpopular, but they were all started by Farmers Union, and I've got all the documentation to show that, and so it started working, and uh, in the twenties they put together a wheat pool because wheat was so cheap, and nobody was going to sell until they got a certain price. And it worked. It held 44 million bushels of wheat off the market between all the farmers' unions in Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas and until they got their price. But it just scared the crap out of the government. Mm-hmm. And, and so they started another farm organization called Farm Bureau. And it was started through the Extension Service. And that was to offset what farmers' union was doing and their activism. And... Uh, so it, it's really kind of weird to watch how it's evolved through that time. And uh, so, because, you know, the farmers out there today don't really know this history, and they think it's always been the way it is now, and it mm-hmm. wasn't. And uh, so in 1914, 30 farmers got together at a Kansas Farmers Union meeting and wanted to start a regional cooperative. And so it was a a, a senior moment now. Uh, Kansas, huh, boy that fluttered clear out of my mind. (laughs) Kansas Farmers Union Jobbing Association. Jobbing Association? Yep, Kansas Farmers Union Jobbing Association. So that got off the ground in 1914. Each farmer put in $200, and Kansas Farmers Union put in how much? A couple thousand. Anyhow, they started that thing up. And through all the years, name changes and everything, that eventually became the largest cooperative in the nation, Farmland Industries. Okay. And so Farmland Industries just went bankrupt here about 10, 15 years ago. So the northern states had started a co-op too, uh, North Dakota, Minnesota area up there. And that was a farmers union cooperative exchange and that's what's evolved into CHS or the Senex gas station. So that's now the nation's largest cooperative. But, but anyhow, when farmland industries went under, a couple of longtime employees that wanted to preserve the history of it called Kansas State University Hill Library, and told them, you know, if you want to save this old paperwork, you need to be down here with a pickup by noon or else it's going to the landfill. 
Wow. And they went down with a pickup and brought that back, and that's all stored at Hale Library now. And I've read those original minutes of the first meeting of the Kansas Farmers Union Job and Association. It's in there. The first minutes are in there. That's and it's crazy. just really cool what they were doing together, working together as as farmers in this group. Mm-hmm. Now try and think about trying to get that many farmers working together for the same purpose. I, yeah, and I think um, circling back to our conversation earlier, that's kind of the problem. That's what we need. We need everyone to get together. You know, and, <laughs> you know, if you want to know more about the farm crisis time, Sarah Vogel's new book is pretty amazing. Yeah, the Farmer's Lawyer. She she does a really good job of laying it out and the stress of it all. And that would be interesting to to read Sarah Vogel's, and then just. I don't know. I I am I'm 35. I just really hope that things keep moving forward for us, and we've got a yeah. less handcuffed future. And I'm feeling really hopeful about that. Once again, this has been a conversation between myself, Charlotte French Allen, and Don Teske, president of the Kansas Farmers Union and board member of Kansas Rural Center. If you would like a copy of the rural papers that Don was featured in, send me an email at charlotte at kansasruralcenter.org and I will get that sent your way. Before I say goodbye, I wanted to remind you all that registration for our conference is now open. You can register and find info about the conference by typing in kansasruralcenter.org slash conference or by following our link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm now handing the podcast reins back over to Ryan and Zach for their next episode featuring Jim and Lisa French. Until next time, take care.